Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to worship this morning. We're so glad that you're here. I want to invite you to stand with me. Stand up, and then I would like for you to look to someone to your left or to right and invite them, not invite them, welcome them to church this morning. Take this time to greet your neighbor. Yeah. And for those of you that are joining us online, we're so glad that you're here. Go introduce yourselves in the comments section. Well, I searched the world. Here we go. They couldn't fill me. And man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough. And you came along and put me back together.
Listen, I don't know, you're not awake. Let me get up here. We're okay, Walker. Good morning, my name is Fitz, and I am the lead dog of this bunch and really proud to be that. But this is what we're going to do right now. We're going to talk about why First President in business. And we're in business because we're completely commit committed to being in real relationships that result in unbelievably real transformation. And one of the ways we're celebrating transformation is this month we're doing today the second of four weeks where we're talking about ways that we're engaged in the community and service in mission and ministry and in service. And this morning, I'm really excited that we're going to talk about the ministry of Young Life Urban in Tampa. And we have with us a guest who was for 13 or 14 years the director, but recently has been promoted to be a director of all of Young Life in most of Pinellas County and part of Hillsborough. So anyway, that's Russell Johnson. And he's coming up to give the sermon this morning and talk about this vital ministry that's about real relationships and about real transformation. As you can tell, I'm excited about it. If you're online and you're excited about this, this is what I'd like you to do. Text message me and tell me that you're watching. I just love to look, and I can do it because Russell's preaching, and I'm going to look at my phone during his sermon. <laughs> but I'd like to know. It's just fun to know who's with us online, and that's, just, that's very real and important to us. But let me tell you a little bit about Urban Young Life. Now, uh, this is about me, and we thought you might you like knowing this. I was in high school when Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. And this, this bothered me. Something troubled me. So I go to college, and in college, I was interested and concerned and wanted to be a part of somehow we address these issues. I was concerned about poverty, and I was certainly concerned about race, race relations, etc. So when I started as a 22-year-old working for Young Life as a trainee, I asked Young Life to train me both in traditional Young Life work, which is sort of like Plant or Berkeley or Chamberlain High School or when we got here, King High School and Brandon High School. I said, I want you to also train me in urban Young Life. And urban for Young Life meant working in neighborhoods that were at socioeconomically disadvantaged. In the United States at the time, that was mostly African-American communities. In, in Jacksonville, where I was training, we also had Young Life ministry with, <coughs> with what I would call this socioeconomically at risk white people. That was a neighborhood mostly white, and we had Young Life there in a neighborhood mostly black. In fact, it was apartments, federally sponsored apartments, and mostly single parent families, mostly moms. So I just cut my teeth learning to do street work with kids who were socioeconomically disadvantaged, and virtually 100% of them were black kids. And so when Kathy and I moved here, Profound influence on me and how I think about the kingdom of God and the gospel. When Kathy and I moved here in 1980, immediately up on our office wall in Young Life's office in Tampa, we put a sign, when are we going to start urban ministry in Tampa? And over three years, it took three years, 1983, we began. The, the hearts of people were stirred by God, and the next thing you know, we had what we needed was a nucleus of support, and we had Young Life Urban Tampa. We started in a housing project that doesn't exist anymore, Robles Park, along Interstate 275, as you're coming south on the west side, and there's a pond at the southern end of it. Public housing that's been destroyed, and there's other, I mean, uh, demolished, and there's other individual residences there now. So Russell's grown Young Life Urban all over the parts of the city that are about disadvantaged kids, kids who are economically and socially at risk. So all, of, all that's a little bit about me. But I want you to listen really carefully. Friends, it's important that our hearts break for people who are poor. It's important that we're a part of making what's wrong right. And that's certainly a part of what we're struggling with in our culture. And we're going to do it with real relationships and real transformation. That's the powerful beauty of the simplicity of urban young life. 
So I hope that gets you primed right now for what you're going to hear from Russell. He's a great big dude, and he's got a great big voice, and he's got a huge heart, and he's here with his wife, Leslie, and we're just delighted to have him. So all of that is what's coming in just the next 50 minutes or so. I want to invite you, if you are not have not done so, to connect with us by putting a Connect card into play. You can do it. Hard copies back here, hard copies over there, hard copies outside. You can also QR code it. You can also go online and do it. And that way, we can do what the Connect card says. We can help you connect. How's that? We good with that? So thank you for letting me tell you a little bit about me. Now I want to just change gears, if I could, to something that's really, really kind of hard to talk about, and that is that today is the fifth anniversary of Kaylin Canella's death. Kaylin was 13 years old just a week earlier than she died, and so she'd be 18 years old. And Kaylin had a monster of a cancer, a sarcoma, and she died on Monday, September 18th, 2017. So her dad is here, her little sister is sick and wasn't able to be with us this morning. No Norman is sitting right here, and uh, I looked at my calendar because Kathy and I were involved, and uh, Kaylin's mom, Lisa, and I are running buddies. We've run nine million miles together, and so Norman, our hearts are with you, and I'm going to pray now for you and for your family, and that's who I'm going to pray for, if I could. Gracious God, we thank you that your heart is huge. And we just can't conceive or imagine what it would be like to go through this. And so we pray for Norman, we pray for Ashton, we pray for Lisa, we pray for their entire family. And so this sweet child of yours that fought this disease bravely, and then the disease got her for in the short run, but we know that she lives forever in your presence. And we even sang that with her as she was breathing her last. And thank you, gracious God that you love all of us. Thank you that we get a chance to be people who are about real relationships and real transformation. We get to do it right now for these next few minutes. Help us to join this team in the hours of the week beyond the one hour this morning that we're going to be about doing relationships and doing it well, and our lives will change because of it. Thank you that we be, get to be together and that we serve the king of the universe, Jesus, your son. trunk 
And think about the themes that are we can access. Gator theme, FSU theme, Bucks, Bolts, uh, Plant Panthers. Yes, yes, all of them. The Bulls. Yes. Sorry about last night. <laughs> sorry. Really sorry. Um, Vince has already dubbed that he's going to do a golf themed uh, trunk with a putting green. Everything is going to be amazing. He declares that that's going to be the best trunk. Sorry <laughs> if you wanted to do that one. It's taken. Um, unless you want to do one better than his. And that's kind of fun too to see what could happen there. Um, but we need your trunks. We need you to register your trunks. We also need candy. Lots and lots and lots, did I say a lot, of candy. And we're starting to collect it today. Y'all aren't coming anywhere near fast enough. <laughs> because this is your... Oh, sorry. Anyway, my sweet helpers are bringing the candy box forward. This is where you're going to put your candy every week. And it, you can see... We have room for lots and lots of candy. But you know what? Let's have fun together. Let's have a great time. But also, let's welcome the neighborhood in and put out the welcome mat and just let them know what the hospitality of Jesus looks like. So as you're thinking about what candy you're going to bring for this box, I want to make a promise to all of the women in the room that should you choose to come to our women's dinner event called Real on October 6th at Palmasia Golf and Country Club, I am promising you that you will come away refreshed and energized in your relationships with other women and with God. Our speaker, Rebecca Lyons, has been featured, I've shared this before, on the Today Show, Good Morning America, CNN, Fox, and many other platforms. Why? Why are they featuring her? It's because Rebecca brings a fresh voice, a fresh voice to all the places where we struggle. And so I want to assure you, this is a woman who, along with her husband, she's raising four kids, two of whom have Down syndrome. So this is not just some nice Christian lady talking about Jesus. That's not what it is. She gets it. And she's willing to talk openly about the things that are hard. And if you're someone who's concerned about coming because you don't know anyone, I also want to make you a promise that we will seat you with women in this church that are eager to meet you and help you feel right at home. So come sign up. Come be a part of it. I want to ask you this morning, have you ever noticed how amazing Jesus was with kids? Have you ever noticed that? When his disciples tried to shoo kids away from him, Jesus said, no, 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 no. Let the children come to me. Don't stop them. Jesus was a kid magnet. Just like Rachel Godin, our children's ministry director, and her team. They're kid magnets. And they know and understand that the research proves that children are more receptive to following Jesus than any other age group. So I'm going to let Witt and Wesley Warren tell you personally from their hearts what the children's ministry here at First Pres has meant to them. Hi, my name is Witt, and this the children's ministry has meant so much to me, and I've just absolutely loved it. Um, going through the years, and now I'm in the upper school, 
uh, ministry with my uh, fellow middle schoolers, and I, uh, I've just really loved how much it's it's just meant a lot to me, because I've I've just grown up uh, learning in there, learning about Jesus, learning about God, and uh, I've just loved my pastors. Um, hi, my name is Wesley. I love the children's ministry because it helped me so much to learn about God. I loved being there with everyone. I loved everyone there, and I loved our old church. It was like the best, and <laughs> I loved the pastors, and I loved just everything that we learned, all the activities that we got to do, and um, please keep giving because kids like us need to be learning about God. Mm-hmm. I promise you, I did not put her up to saying that. She comes by it honestly, her dad raises money for Tampa Prep. But I do want you to know that should you choose to give using one of these six platforms or the generosity box in the back of the room, that you are investing in Wesley, in Wit, and the 350 children we serve in this church community. And you are also developing a new generation of Jesus followers. So on behalf of all of the children that you bless, I want to say thank you. Please join us.
introduce to you my friend Russell Johnson you can start walking if you'd like <laughs> he came to Tampa in 1991 to attend the University of Tampa and then he came on to the Young Life staff 
here in Tampa in 2001 to lead our urban Young Life ministry here. I loved being a colleague of yours, Russell. You know that. We had such a blast when I was serving as associate metro director. So we spent a lot of time together, and I watched Russell light up this city by reaching teenagers in Sulphur Springs, University Community, Ybor City, and even more neighborhoods. He was bringing the hope of Jesus to teenagers who really think there is absolutely no hope. Now you'll see why there is. Russell, Thank you, Kathy. You're welcome. Thank you. Love you. Love you. Thank you. So it is my honor to be here this morning. And first of all, I have to say this microphone, I feel like I'm in a boy band. Like I should be. So thank you for allowing me to be up here in my little boy band audition this morning. So I appreciate that. Um, first of all, I really am thankful for your church because you are a church that understands the importance of reaching the least of these. And that's what God calls us to. He calls us to the least of these. So a little background on myself. First of all, I didn't play basketball or football. I was um, a professional jockey. No, I'm just kidding with you. <laughs> yeah, it would probably be Clydesdales if that were the case. But, um, but I grew up in upper middle class um, family. We lived in Hamden, Massachusetts, which is right on the Connecticut line. We had a very big house, and um, I had... Uh, there was four of us total in the house. My mother worked as an anesthesia technical director, and my dad sold insurance and everything else. So I learned at an early age how to be relational and work with people and meet people. And so everybody in my house at the age of 16 years old, their rite of passage was we would get a car for our 16th birthday. They were oftentimes used cars, and my father and I would fix them up, but we got a car. So I did not grow up in poverty. I then come to the University of Tampa where, um, where people around me were just like me. They were wealthy, they came from homes where they had privileged backgrounds, and they understood what it meant to, to really be entitled like I was. And then came graduation in 1993. I started working in the inner city, and Sulphur Springs was my first job. And I was a clinical case manager working with families at the height of just poverty, absolute poverty, but I fully did not understand it until I got married. Uh, <laughs> which is true because um, I met my wife actually through a singles ad, which she's probably embarrassed to hear this, um, me saying this, but we, it was the, um, the flyer at the time and her friend had advertised in there that she was you know, looking for somebody and interested and I responded at the age of 25 years old young single guy fresh out of college and um and she had three children immediately the oldest at the time was eight years old six years old and two years old so here i am a father or i'm um, getting into a relationship with somebody with three children outside of my race and culture and with a woman who was not a college graduate and of course my family did what a lot of families would do they disowned me immediately because here I am going into something that they did not approve of. But God got a hold of our family, and we moved immediately after we got married into the university area, and that's when I really understood the struggles of being low-income family. We were making $22,000 with a family of five living in the inner city. We had one car, and um, 
and I actually got a bicycle, and I would ride it sometimes from the university area to Brandon. Back then, I was really fit. But, um, <laughs> and because that's the only transportation we had. So my heart for the poor started to break because I understood it from the inside out. I understood what it was like to have to wonder every day how you were going to eat for the next day. But I also remember the goodness of God and how he provided everything that we needed at that moment. And how God just continued to bless our home and our life. So um, I got some scripture I want to share with you this morning that really just speaks of God and where his heart is for the poor. The first one is Psalms 3510. My whole being will exclaim, who is like you, Lord? You rescue the poor from those too strong for them, the poor and the needy from those who rob them. The next one, Psalms 82.3. Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. You see, church, we are called to care for the poor. When you search out the scriptures from Old Testament to New Testament, the one common thread that you see mentioned the most are the poor. You see, God really does have a heart for the poor. And I had to realize after um, speaking to so many people and the wonderful work that Kathy does, we in America oftentimes cannot understand what it really means to be poor. We oftentimes say that we're poor, but we have more resources than anyone else. In fact, we spend more on Christmas alone than most families in third world countries have to live on for an entire year. Think about that. The amount that we spend for one day is more than the resources of most people in third world countries. Over 80% of the world lives on what we spend in one day. Pretty humbling to me to think of myself as being over-resourced. I'll go on to the next scripture, which Psalms 109, 30 through 31. With my mouth, I will greatly exalt the Lord in the great throne of worshipers. I will praise him, for he stands at the right hand of the needy to save them, their lives from those who would condemn them. Psalms 113.7 says, He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ashes, from the ash heap. Psalms 140.12, I know that the Lord secures justice for the poor and upholds the causes of the needy. Proverbs 14.31, Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for those, for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Do we honor God in the way that we treat others? I don't, I no longer refer to my car as my, my car. I actually call it my prayer portal. And why this is good for me is because when I drive through the streets of Tampa, I see things I never thought I would see before. I purposely look for tarps on roofs so I can pray for that family. And every single time I go by that house, I just keep praying and praying and praying for them. When I'm driving through Ocala and I see a trailer park as I'm going up to our Young Life property and the, the roofs are practically falling and I keep praying for that community. 
And when I come by that house again and I see that roof repaired, I thank God. When I'm driving down the highway and I see a car broken down on the side of the road, I immediately start praying that they will have a mechanic, that they will have the means, that they will find a way, and that God will shine the light on them as they go through this process. It has revolutionized my prayer life and my connection with our city. When I see an officer pulling over somebody on the side of the road, and I used to do this all the time with our Young Life teams in the van, I have, we immediately stop and pray for the officer, pray for the person in the car, pray for anyone involved. Because we don't know that officer's story. We don't know when, what they're afraid of or whether, what will happen to them throughout the course of the day. We have to be ambassadors of praying for our city and for the least of these. And our car, every time we start it, it gives us a way to do that. In fact, my wife and I, a lot of times, will go down the street and I'll say, um, she'll say something like, wow, that house looks rough. And I'm not throwing her under the bus. And, I, and, and in the past, I would be the one to say, yeah, it really does. They need to do something. It's really bringing the neighborhood down. Now my question goes, have we prayed for them first? Have we prayed for them? I love ministries like Created that um, Kathy is a part of because they take the least of these and bring dignity and value to them. They pour into them, they invest in these ladies, and they give them hope. That's what biblical living is for the poor. Proverbs 14.21 says, It is a sin to despise one's neighbor, but blessed is the one who is kind to the needy. Proverbs 19.17, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. Proverbs 22.9, the generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. That verse right there hit me hard. Let me tell you something, when you have somebody who is poor, come to your home and you serve them like a king, that is godly living. My wife and I, um, we have had kids fostered in our home. We have had young life kids living in our home, oh good Lord, for a lot of time. And they eat us out of house and home. I mean, really, we had this kid Stitch that lived with us that ate so much cheese, we don't even know where he put it to this day. <laughs> But that right there is godly living. I'll never forget this young man, Willie Thomas, who um, when I first started in Young Life, um, he was one of my earlier kids. And in urban Young Life, it's, it's one of the weirdest things, but when you take kids to camp on their medical form, the parents write, you have permission to whip my kid's butt. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's the kind of ministry you're doing. Now, I haven't whipped any kid's butt, but Willie's mother was... Um, a drug dealer, and was involved in a, an addict as well, and was in and out of jail throughout his high school career and middle school. And one day, his mother had gotten arrested, and there was no other family members that could take him in. So she called up my wife and I and said, would you care for my son? And we said, yeah. So he came to live with us, and Willie was a hot mess. I mean, just a hot mess. And, um, and, but yet, he heard the message of Christ to the point that he actually, his mother is saved as a result of him. 
His brothers and sisters are saved as a result of him. Willie would actually go into Target and he would shoplift as a teenager. Now Willie is one of the regional directors of Target (laughs) (laughs) Distribution Center in Atlanta, Georgia, and is having his first child at the age of 34 years old. Purchase the Mercedes, which I told him that's probably not the best idea. Let's get a house first. But uh, <laughs> has a young, I mean, an older gentleman, Bill Mannon, who has been mentoring him for the last 15 years, teaching him about financial responsibility and what it means to live a life free of poverty. Willie is the first family member to truly break that generational curse that has plagued his family. And now comes back and helps care for his mother and loves on her. It is the greatest blessing when we live our life in community with the poor. Proverbs 28, 7 says, Those who give to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to them will receive many curses. Proverbs 31, 8 through 9, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves but for the right of all who are destitute, speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. My voice matters, but it's not just through Young Life. I'm paid to be good through Young Life, but the other things I do, I'm good for nothing, just like you guys are. (laughs) (laughs) So part of caring for the poor means that I have to be involved in several different ways. I volunteer on the Healthy Start Board that deals with pregnancies and women and nutrition and teen pregnancies. Fact is, I've learned that there are more black females that lose their child or have stillbirths than any race or culture in America. In fact, if you compare American black women to women in Africa and other third world countries, the birth rates are lower here in America. So something's wrong there. So in response to that, what God has really been putting on my heart is Young Lives Ministry, which we are now starting up here in Tampa, where we have a ministry for teen moms, their babies, and the fathers. There's a great need there in our community. Chris Baskey, who is on staff, goes to King High School every week and meets with over eight or nine girls, the youngest one, 14 years old, and a mother. This year, a 12-year-old in Ruskin gave birth to a child. 12 years old, and yet there are no other ministries in Hillsborough County that are working with kids outside of the the school on a weekly basis, and that's what Young Lives will do. They'll be able to go to camp with their baby's daddy in strollers. I mean, you go to Young Lives camps, there are over 400 strollers parked outside the club room. It looks like the villages with golf carts, (laughs) (laughs) but it's strollers. And this is an opportunity for us to do it well and to teach girls not to have their second child before pregnancy. I mean, I'm sorry, before marriage. And to have a diploma and to have dignity and value in the life that the, in the child that they're raising. To create more willy opportunities where we can have a next generation who will be the leaders in our community. I also serve on the Timothy Initiative Board, which deals with men in recovery. And this year, or two years ago, during COVID, I was asking the question with some friends of mine, 
how can we create a black Wall Street when we can help people out of poverty? And so I helped start a new nonprofit, which I'm the board chair of, called Rebuild, where we are actually paying kids to go out and do construction and learn trades and get involved in, their, in, in that. So when they graduate high school, they can go work directly for a company without debt. That's important to me. And so with Rebuild, we have a Christian fundamental foundation, which is biblically based about work and how we are creating those opportunities. To me, my attitude is, if you see a problem, let's find a solution and not just complain about the problem the whole time. In fact, in Luke chapter 3, it says, um, John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share them the one who has not, with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. In fact, I'm going to move ahead to, um, to the end, Luke. Um, I want to go to that verse right there. If, I'm sorry, I'm jumping around a little bit. But um, So here's a story that I absolutely love in the Bible. And it's a beautiful story because in this we see there is a great storm that comes along. You guys have probably heard this a million times. And the, the waves are, are coming up, and, and it's a fierce storm. And the disciples are saying, did you bring us here to kill us? And so the, the, the boat is rocking, and Jesus gets up and calms the waves. And so um, it says one day, okay, then the disciples went on and woke him, saying, Master, Master, have you come here to have us drowned? And so I'm summarizing this part of it, and they said, even the wind and the waves obey. But then let's move on to the next part. Um, so then they sailed across, and they arrived at their destination. And here's what's really big for me. So when they got there, there was a man there, or a, a young person, who was out of his mind. He's yelling and screaming and cutting himself and, and just crazy as can be in the moment. And you see Jesus get out of the boat and go onto the shore and spend time with them. And he, he casts the demons that are in this man into a herd of pigs. They run into the lake and they drown. But here's something I want to ask you guys. Where were the disciples? In the story, Peter is the most impulsive person in the world. I mean, Peter is the ADHD poster child. He's like, hey, Jesus, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? You want me to set up tents? You want me to do this? You want me to do that? He cuts off someone's ear before Jesus even asks. He, I mean, he is just, he is a hot mess. But yet you never see them step on the shore. And here's what I think. They knew this man had a reputation. They knew that he was crazy, that he was out of his mind, and that this was who he was. But they were afraid to get out of the boat. Fear kept them in the boat. And so often in our lives, we're fearful. We pull up to that light in the inner city and we make sure that we lock our doors. You don't know how many times I've walked on an elevator and somebody has taken their purse and clutched it closer to them like I'm going to rob them. Or I see them hitting the closed door button as fast as they can before I arrive. It's a fact. Fear is something that we 
oftentimes live in. And it prevents us from stepping out of the boat and serving where God has really called us to serve. And so you see the man is cured and the, and the demons leave him. But I don't know about you guys, but if I was just in the worst storm ever, the last place I want to be is in a boat. I want to get out of there. I mean, I'm going to be on the ground kissing it and be like, oh, Jesus, I'm going to go with you anywhere. I will follow you. But the disciples did not do that. They didn't get out of the boat. So my challenge to you is what's keeping you in the boat? What is keeping you from stepping out to love people with a radical love, to care for the least of these, to care for people like no other, and to be the real community of Christ, to serve on created board or give, to serve other ministries and give back, to help with young lives, to be a part of something special here in Flint. Because we truly can make a difference. If you watch the media today, the biggest bull, malarkey, that, <laughs> that is fed to us is that we as different races and cultures do not need to work together. That is the biggest lie straight from the pits of hell. How can Willie learn financial responsibility if it wasn't for Bill Mannon, a white male who lives in New Tampa that is bald in, much older, <laughs> And has nothing in common with Willie. But Willie's life is better because of him. How can we learn our, in the inner city how to be financially responsible if no one's going to teach us? That understands it already. We need each other. And we need to lean in and get out of the boat to serve God in our city. I want to end this by praying a blessing over you as a church because I have been watching you for years <laughs> and I have watched you feed the poor in downtown Tampa I have seen you house the poor I have seen you love the community unlike any other and Jesus says to churches like you well done my faithful servant well done God, we just pray right now a blessing over this congregation, God. May you keep them, God, and lift them up and continue, God, to keep them out of the boat. God, we just pray right now, God, that as they walk through the streets, Lord, may there be no fear, God. But may there just be a great love for the least of these, God. Show up and show out in their lives every day. In Christ's name we pray, amen. And Russell, we want to pray over you. We want to pray over him, don't we? So would you stretch your arms forward as a sign of your support as I pray? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for Russell's big heart. And we ask that you keep sending him, Father, but that you multiply that you multiply what he said into our hearts, into the hearts of his current leaders, into the hearts of other people in our city to keep reaching teenagers like Willie, Father, so that we could then have that exponential fruitful thing that happens when then Willie's brothers and sisters and then his mother come to know you. We pray that every 
child, every teenager in this city, whether they are a pregnant teen or they're sitting at King High School or wherever they are, would have a sense of hope because someone is stepping into their neighborhood and loving them, all starting with the seeds that Russell planted in your power, in your goodness, in your grace. Love and bless this man, Leslie, his wife, and their family, and thank you for what he has taught us and how he's set our hearts on fire this morning. Amen. Thank you. Let's go ahead and stand and sing together this last one. Well, I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. Sing it out. Man's empty praise and treasures the fade. I never enough You came along And put me back together And every desire Is now satisfied Here in your love Yeah Oh, there's nothing Better
Things are getting real, Jesus take the wheel, only way I'm getting to the other side. Days are getting dark, life's a little hard, blinded but I'm trying not to lose sight. I don't got this, I know you got this, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll believe it before I see it, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you're gonna see me through it, if anybody can, you can do it. God, I know in the trouble in the gonna call the one who put it up there in the first place full scale attack devil on my back better lace him up and go put on my game face i don't got this i know you got this yeah 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 and i believe it before i see it yeah yeah i know you're gonna see me through it if anybody can you can gotta know in the trouble I know you're gonna see me through it. There's honey in the rock, water in the stone, manna on the ground, no matter where I go. I don't need to worry now that I know everything I need you got. There's honey in the rock.
Show up while you're dreaming. Nobody, nobody, nobody sees you. Nobody, nobody will believe you. Every day you try to pick up all the pieces, all the memories that somehow never leave you. Nobody, nobody, nobody sees you. Nobody, nobody will believe you. God only knows what you've been through. God only knows what they say about you. God only knows how it's killing you, but there's a kind of love that God only knows. God only knows what you've been through. God only knows what they say about you, but God only knows the real you. There's a kind of love that God only knows. You keep a cover over every single secret. So There's a kind of love that God only knows. God only knows what you've been through. God only knows what they say about you. But God only knows the real you. There's a kind of love that God only knows.
is the kind of love that I That even this valley was a golden street.
Yep, it should be um, at the very top, right before the countdown. Thank you. 